1: Yo Curtis, have you been supporting some of these Black-owned businesses yet? I was just at the Suya spots! Yo, you know what, I just tried them this week and it was fire. Fire. I'm Patience Adamu.
0: And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip.
1: A podcast for diverse millennials to help make sense of COVID-19 and the decisions made by our political leaders.
0: Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly events and announcements that impact us. Shall we?
1: Let's do it. <sighs> Why so glum, chum? Well, you see, more regions were allowed to reopen this week, but Toronto and Peel weren't on the list. Damn!
0: I heard Windsor wasn't allowed to reopen either.
1: Yes, but they are the center of the universe, okay? I need a patio and winners.
0: Needs her patio and winners. No, I feel you, man. I feel you. Well, for our listeners in Ontario, Durham just opened up uh, to Phase 2 on Friday, so you guys are good.
1: Same thing for those living in Hamilton. To see a full list of regions that have moved on to Phase 2, just check our feed.
0: And look, we've been joking about the phase reopening, but COVID is still to be taken seriously, case in point. On Thursday, Canada's total number of confirmed and presumptive cases surpassed 100,000 and more than 8,300 people have died. For those living in Toronto, for example, we've experienced a thousand deaths so far. But Jane Hefferman, a mathematician epidemiologist at York University, said she and her colleagues estimate that the reproduction rate of COVID in Ontario is somewhere between 0.8 and 0.9 additional infections generated from each new case. And a rate of less than one will produce a drop in case counts over time. In her words, she thinks the downward trend is pretty stable and she hopes that it will continue.
1: Let's hope so. Man, what's going on with the border politics?
0: Yeah, that's becoming a new thing now, eh? The politics of what happens there. It's gonna be closed for another month going straight to July 21st, and I honestly wouldn't expect, or I honestly would expect that it's probably gonna be closed until August 21st too.
1: Wow. I, I'm not sure how good that is. Although Florida did just announce a, another hike in their cases uh, by about 4,000. so Literally maybe. one day. Yeah. <laughs> so sad.
0: Yeah. I mean, if they were more responsible, they wouldn't have to deal with this. So I, I just don't want to have to deal with them coming up here. So I think the border should stay as closed as
1: long as possible. I hear that.
0: Well, I don't know about you patients, but I've been kind of concerned about what's happening with CERB because I saw that, you know, the, the wage subsidy was being extended and I saw that there were other th- measures being either implemented or extended for people who needed them. Um, and I was saying to myself, look, I would love to start working as soon as I can, but it's kind of tough out there in the job market. So yes. I'm happy to say that because of Jagmeet Singh, CERB is being extended. Praise sweet baby Black Jesus, because they made this a reality by warning Trudeau that the NDP wouldn't support the government this week during a vote on spending estimates unless the minority liberals agreed to extend the serve. So just like that, all of us who are and will be struggling to find work will have another 16 weeks of runway. This probably underscores the reality that minority governments can work despite what conservatives and even many liberals think. For example, From 1962 to 1968, a liberal prime minister, being Lester B. Pearson, helped bring in Medicare, the Canada Pension Plan, and the Canada Assistance Plan for poorer provinces, with help from Tommy Douglas's NDP. Minority governments have historically made our country more progressive, in my view, because it's forced governments to not only listen to business interests, which usually have the most sway on matters of state. So look, kudos to Jameet Singh, kudos to the NDP, And don't let anybody ever again tell you that minority governments don't work. Last week, John Tory finally announced that anybody who wants to take the TTC has to do so wearing a face mask.
1: Honestly, Curtis, I'm here for it. I think it really is only a matter of time before they're required everywhere.
0: I think so too, which is a good thing my mask finally came last week after, what, five weeks of waiting?
1: Well, and and that's a great point, Curtis. Like, as people are adjusting to this new world where they have to, you know, purchase a mask, and then decide how often they they should wear it and how often they should wash it. I think there should be just a little bit more latitude around masks and and them kind of entering our, our new realities. How much was your mask, Curtis?
0: Yeah, so um, my total order, which was two masks, and it also came with two filters, was $33.09. And that includes about $10 of shipping.
1: Well, I was at Rexall the other day, and I saw that they were selling 50 masks, like those disposable ones, and I'm using disposable with air quotes, Mm -hmm. um, for $50. And, you know, they don't sell them in smaller packs than that. At least they didn't at that Rexall. They only sold them in the, the, the 50 pack for $50 that can be quite cost prohibitive. If you're going to work every single day.
0: I think so. And I know it's possible. Like, for example, I I bought from plus guardian, which I'm not sure if I would recommend it just because it took five weeks for my mask to come, but um, you know, the mask looks good. It works. For example, by the way, guys, I wear glasses. um, And I know one of the things that I really didn't want to deal with was fogged up glasses because of having to wear a mask I'll be honest, Plus Guardian actually does do a very good job of keeping fog out of the, fl- out of the lens. So that's or yeah, the, the lens, that's good. But yeah, like you said, patients, this is, this is going to add up over time. So it's good that there are Plus Guardian and other brands like this who offer filters that can be washed quickly and easily, but there probably has to be some sort of a, I don't know, a stipend or, I don't know, tax credit or something given to yeah. people so that they can manage the cost, the ongoing cost of having to buy these masks.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll be waiting for that. I know there's some listeners, some political listeners who are also advising the leaders and the powers that be. So, uh, you know, pass that up. (laughs) (laughs) Pass that
0: like a hot potato, man. (laughs) Well, last week, Thursday, the feds in Ontario jointly released an app to track contact tracing. The app, a version of COVID Shield, was created as an independent project by a team of developers affiliated with Shopify out of Ottawa. It relies on an interface created by Apple and Google, and it's so good, patients, that even the UK decided to ditch another program instead of this one. It will allow those who test positive for COVID-19 to alert others they may have come into contact with to get tested. Ontario says the app could be available for download as early as July 2nd.
1: You know, I heard about this, but but how exactly does it work?
0: Basically, anyone using the Ontario app who tests positive for COVID can choose to upload their info using a verification code that'll be given out with the positive test result. The app will then anonymously alert all others whose devices were within close range of the one belonging to the person who tested positive. All records of recent contacts are kept only by the devices and not in a central database and records are automatically erased after 14 days, since that's thought to be the max time it takes for the disease to develop.
1: Yeah, honestly, like, it sounds great and all, like, it, 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 but it does kind of sound like a dystopian future that we don't want to get involved in. Like, there must be privacy concerns, since the app would need to keep track of our every movement. The Federal Privacy Commissioner says he is watching the developments closely, so I think we should be kind of like vigilant as well. Well, actually let me let me ask you, Curtis, would you, if you were testing positive for for COVID 19, do you think that you would feel comfortable putting your your test result in an app that would let everybody else around you know that that, that you have tested positive? Is that something that you would that you would like to do? Yes. You would, uh, eh? I'm not so sure that I would.
0: I and I and I totally understand it. Totally understand it because as we've pointed out, the the privacy concerns are real. Um and it is not far fetched to consider that even if even if the current federal government is extremely benevolent <laughs> it doesn't mean i mean we know this government is not going to be in place forever and so let's say we have a worse government down the road how would they implement or how would they use that infrastructure against us is kind of the fundamental issue yeah but we're also in the midst of a pandemic and we're trying to save as many lives as we can and so communication open communication Probably should be default, right? But if
1: you're staying in your house, I mean, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into into too much of a back and forth, but hmm. it's it's almost like if if a person is not going to follow the instructions that you know you have tested positive for COVID nineteen, stay home. Then hmm. why would that same person put their diagnosis in their phone to let you know what I mean like as they're as they're going all over the the GTA you know attending parties and going into Rexall's why would that same person enter their 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 test result in an app for everybody around them to see you know what I mean it just it kind of feels it's
0: it's it's, you're making an extremely good point which is why folks like Dr. Bogosh was pointing out that this is meant to be supplementary not meant to be the be-all end-all or the next baseline Because basically we need good old fashioned contact tracing work to happen by real people calling other people and letting them know. But this is just a supplementary tool.
1: You know, I've been wondering what's happening with the temporary foreign worker program. We've been hearing a lot about, um, you know, are they going to be given access to to citizenship or a path to citizenship? Uh, Are we going to have enough food to sustain us?
0: Zachi, it's, it's really interesting that we've been talking about this over the past, I guess, two or three weeks. And look at that. We have something to keep talking about. We have a developing, we have our own very own developing story patients.
1: <laughs> come on, come on with a developing story. <laughs> so we don't know the
0: details yet, but Ottawa plans to overhaul the temporary foreign worker program. And that was announced just this past week. Carla Qualtro, who's the minister responsible for the temporary foreign worker program, as well as the Minister of Employment workforce development and disability inclusion more broadly is also saying she's considering national standards on living conditions that would have to be met for employers to qualify for the program. She goes on to say, quote, we're still at the point where people are sick and people are dying and work conditions aren't safe. There's a power imbalance that exists in this system that has to be acknowledged so that we can fix it. No, you think, I'm sorry. No, you know what? I, I, I'm at least happy she's saying that.
1: Yeah, okay, but but why is she only considering national housing standards?
0: Um, I was wondering the exact same thing, so it's a good thing I kept reading. Um, because in truth, oversight for the program falls into a patchwork of jurisdictions, which means living condition standards end up falling through the cracks, patchwork systems and stuff like that. Right. What she says in response, though... But which I totally agree with, is we've got to figure out what the 2020 Temporary Foreign Worker Program looks like, because what it is right now, ain't it.
1: Well, yeah, I think we we have read recently, but also before that, there have been a lot of um, activists who've talked about how the, some of the temporary foreign worker programs that we have here do resemble a modern day slavery. Hmm. So can you remind us of what, what migrant workers face?
0: Yeah, we're talking about overcrowded accommodations. I mean, for example... One regulation that companies should be following, but they don't even follow this, is that there's supposed to be no more than 10 person to one bathroom. Bosses putting pressure on sick workers to keep working, no sick days, and in the middle of a pandemic, a lack of PPE. It's a mess. While Ottawa issued rules for the mandatory 14-day quarantine for these international workers once they came here, the conditions that they faced after isolation, ain't nobody cared about it. There was no monitoring.
1: I think like, th- that, that's one of the quintessential problems in policy. And I'm sure, you know, Curtis, you, you probably studied this. I have definitely studied this. It's, it's one thing to put a, a system in place or to put regulations in place. But if you don't have a way to enforce them or to monitor them, particularly when you're involving people who are vulnerable folks, so temporary foreign workers are vulnerable because at any point in time, if they lose their job, they can be deported. I, I think it like this is a time that we really have to monitor. We have to get back out into the fields and make sure that these people are safe and, and are able to to physically distance.
0: Yeah, I'll be real with you, patients. Before we started talking about it on this podcast, I I didn't pay it too much attention. It just wasn't an area of focusing uh, for me. But you can bet your bottom dollar it's going to be one moving forward because. I mean, for example, one of the things that I learned over the past few weeks is that the majority of our uh, temporary foreign worker help comes from Jamaica and Latin America. So if nothing else, let's say I do get Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? I need to ensure that I am looking out for people who look like me.
1: Bull, oh, stop.
0: And, and look, listen, this isn't just a, a question of theory. This isn't just a, an educational exercise because two people have already died during COVID because of these deplorable conditions, right? That's why somebody like Pablo Godoy, who is the Calgary-based liaison for Mexico with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, said he's pleased to hear the minister's words, but is also eager to see what comes next. In other words, deeds, not words. Let's see what they do. So before chatting about what's going on with the Canadian economy, we thought we'd chat about your economy first. Many of us are saving money on transit or the price of lunches, which is super dope. But we likely accumulated other costs, right? Like desks and ergonomic chairs and printers and scanners and paper and ink. There's also the added cost of delivery services and increased data and electricity usage at home. Don't even get me started on air conditioning.
1: What do you think we can do to offset all that?
0: Act like a conservative and write your expenses off, man. That's what you can do about it. Some of you already know about uh, the T-2200 forms if you're used to working from home more than 50% of the year. So unless the federal government makes a quick change to tax rules now, anyone who works from home regularly, and regularly again means more than 50%, can deduct a portion of their business-related expenses from their taxable income. The expenses that fall into this category include utility payments, rent, and business-related cell phone usage. It also includes office supplies for homeowners in particular. Deductible expenses also include maintenance and upgrades to your home office.
1: Fam, what? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let me call my, my, my tax woman just now.
0: I know, right? I mean, look, most people don't know about this unless they're freelancers or salespeople, which you and I essentially are. So all that said, we recommend you ask your tax professional to help with this when tax time comes.
1: Don't say we didn't put you on.
0: Starbucks plans to close up to 200 Canadian locations over two years as a response to customer habit changes due to COVID-19. They're probably going to have to react to Black lives, too. Uh, They'll be accelerating their plans around contactless service. The company was already experimenting with pickup-only coffee shops before the pandemic. For example, the first Canadian Starbucks store using the new super tiny format launched in January.
1: Have you seen it? Well,
0: thankfully, I'm not a downtown rat anymore. So, no, I do not know. I'm just kidding. People, all my people downtown do not come from Some of the Canadian stores up for closure will be, quote, repositioned, according to a statement provided by a Starbucks rep, with more store formats that include pickup, drive-through and curbside delivery. Starbucks is saying that uh, it plans to open more new locations in other parts of the world too. It was pulling back on structural growth in North America anyway.
1: I think this is a really interesting thing to talk about in the economy section of our of our podcast, because I think it, it is indicative of what we will see other restaurants or other um, third spaces do. And what I mean by a third space is there are a couple of of restaurants and places that we go to. Panera bread is a good example. Starbucks is a good example. Most cafes are are a really good example of this where people go to do their homework or they go to meet with their book clubs, but they're not really full fledged restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I think their business was the business of, people coming together being in close proximity and it, it wasn't just you know coming through the drive-thru and, and buying stuff so they have you know starbucks is saying that they have had to completely change their business model and i wonder who else is going to have to change their business model i think panera bread is probably right there with them do you see other businesses heading in this direction
0: i see panera needing to reduce the salt and taking their food but also yes you know
1: panera bread gave me a rotten apple family <laughs> Don't talk about like, you know, having apples on the side of, as a side dish in your, in your meals and then you're giving people rotten apples. The, the city of Toronto has asked people who work in the financial sector and in the insurance sectors to keep their employees working from home for a while. Don't you think that that will have some kind of longer term ramifications in terms of how those businesses operate or
0: I mean, how do you basically, how do you still serve those customers or how do you get those customers to continue buying from you? If they're, they literally don't have a need for you anymore. (laughs) It's going to be an issue, man. It's going to be a real issue. We'll have to see what governments and and groups like CFIB, uh, Canadian Federation of independent businesses, what they, what they can come up with.
1: And another thing that I think is maybe the, the blessing aspect of this blessing and a curse mixture is Before COVID-19, we were experiencing really, really high property values Mm. in the core. And since, you know, people don't really need to live downtown in order to work all the time and um, maybe some of these offices, these commercial towers aren't going to be as full. I wonder if that will have an impact on commercial real estate and the property values in the city of Toronto. Yeah,
0: and you know what? I'm really looking at this from from a perspective of an investor because I've got you know numerous Brookfield asset management stocks, and they have been. I mean, one way to say it is fluctuating quite a bit. And and you know, what happens when most people aren't working anymore? I I don't know. I don't know. Do we re do we repurpose what we've been using these these buildings for? And if we do, what does that look like?
1: Great questions. So the world is falling apart. China cases have started to spike again. China reported on Sunday that the country had 57 new confirmed cases of coronavirus as of midnight on Saturday. This is the highest number of infections that it has reported in two months. For nearly two months, there had been almost no new cases of coronavirus reported in Beijing. But on Friday, one new case was reported, a number that rose dramatically on Saturday. State-run newspapers, so Chinese newspapers, reported that the virus was discovered on chopping boards used for imported salmon at one of Beijing's markets. So they are worried that the coronavirus was imported as China is a major importer of seafood and meat. And so they have halted purchases from a number of their European salmon suppliers because of fears that they might be linked to the coronavirus. I
0: actually had no idea that China was a major porter of seafood and meat. That's that's very interesting to me.
1: Neither did I. <laughs>
0: it's, it's interesting to really sit down and think about how our world supply chains work and how that supply chain, in effect, has contributed to the problem that we have right now.
1: And I wonder if we all are really shutting down our borders and not letting people in and out that doesn't protect us from goods that are coming in and out, right? So yeah. to true to this case in China, salmon has come into their country and they suspect, this has not been proven, this is, you know, allegedly, mm-hmm. they suspect that that salmon is carrying the coronavirus or that the, the salmon packaging is carrying the coronavirus. So what does that say for, you know, the, 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 our globalized economy?
0: 100%. 100%. Um, so, uh, you know what, I, I'm actually wondering... So I, I, I'm concerned here. So it, it, is it that what is coming out of China is referencing the fact that COVID-19 truly can be in animals now?
1: It, it's a, it's an interesting, because I thought we had, I thought we, we deaded that as well. I thought that was a myth, it's a particularly dead animals. I thought that was a myth, but I think we still don't know quite, enough about coronavirus like we don't know how long it can it can live on inanimate objects crazy but also it's a novel virus so this is what this is what it is i don't know
0: it's entirely a learning exercise that's right yeah, uh, so then like some about india today don't you
1: yeah i do uh you know the, the weather the the weather has been a a a kind of supporting character in in the discussions of covid-19 so in India, uh, Assam um, has been struck by the season's first flood, triggered by the cyclone Amphan, affecting nearly three lakh people in nine districts. So this, this kind of thing happens every year in different parts of Assam, like clockwork, displacing people, destroying crops and damaging homes. They're pretty used to that. But co- like COVID-19 has added to the challenge, particularly in the flood relief camps, so typically what happens is a disaster comes, affects, you know, a couple of square kilometers of, of space. And then those people will go to state disaster camps that are basically kind of similar to, to refugee camps, but they're for internally displaced people. And then they, they live there until the, the flood has passed uh, and they can kind of rebuild their homes or go, go back to their homes. But, you know, you, you can't, you can't necessarily go to one of these camps when coronavirus numbers are rising it's it's not necessarily safer than it would be to to do something else mm-hmm. so as the number of positive cases in india show an upward swing with ease travel re- restrictions and more people returning home from outside there is this double fear of more floods and more coronavirus and and they're they're really tied at the hip
0: yeah it's uh, double whammies everywhere right if it's not the virus it's it's the possibility of increased health concerns and it's not health concerns it's you know where does it end what were we talking about before that that 2020 is basically the book of revelations right <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i'm not even laughing fam like <laughs>
0: that's serious
1: <laughs> that ass so a bit closer to home Calgary. I don't know how many of us missed this, but I, I have a friend who was actually out on a uh, Uber Eats delivery when she got stuck in a flood last week. Calgary had a hailstorm on June 14th that caused approximately one billion dollars in damage to houses and vehicles. The Insurance Bureau of Canada has reported twenty thousand claims filed related to the event, including home auto and business claims. And city officials expect that that's not even it, that those Mm -hmm. numbers are going to increase. We're still learning more about kind of what the damage is is looking like. And the city has been hosting uh, a couple of like damage events so that people kind of know what to do next. But people's homes have been decimated. These hail chunks, so hail as we know it, Curtis, is about the size of fingernail. That's maybe like one centimeter squared maximum. But these hail chunks were the sizes of golf balls. They mm. shattered people's windshields. Anyway, just all to say that, that the weather really has been a supporting actor or supporting actress in <laughs> uh, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic that we are watching unfold. And I just want to make sure that, you know, everyone stays safe.
0: Yeah, man, look, in China, you risk catching the disease yet again from imported food. In India, you risk catching the disease if, you get caught in a cyclone and you therefore have to be put into a, a camp until you can go back to your place of residence. And in Calgary, you can you risk getting hit by, by hail. So, I mean, to me, and I'm being slightly facetious here, maybe that just reinforces why many people should be staying home as often as they can.
1: So at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about call to support Black-owned businesses. And we, we have taken the initiative to put together a couple of lists and left it in the show notes for you all. But we're also curious about what Black-owned businesses you have visited and what you purchased.
0: They say you vote with your dollars. So make your vote count.
1: Black Lives Matter.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to
1: date. Remember, we're all in this together, and this forum is meant to be a sort of safe space to foster community. So slide in our DMs with any questions or feedback you have, and we promise to respond. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at PatienceEve.
0: And I'm on Instagram at State of Vermont. See you next time.
1: You know, it's getting pretty wild out there. We've heard about shootings and other instances of violence all across the greater Toronto area. And we're urging people to please stay home. And if you can't, please continue to be vigilant and stay safe.
0: We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for his podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs.